Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Hey, this is the national treasure, Nick Aldis, and you're listening to the All Night Long Wrestling Podcast. It's the All Night Long Wrestling Podcast. With the Enforcer. I believe they're called Enforcers, Gordon. I sell women's shoes. And the Stallion. Stallion, baby! I am not what you would call a handsome man. I'll kick you in the nuts and you'll smile at me and like it. All night! Hello everybody, welcome back to another edition of the All Night Long Wrestling Podcast. We are your host, he's the Stallion, I am the Enforcer, and this week we are joined by a very special guest. You might know her from In the Ring, from Ring of Honor, from On Commentary, from Backstage Interviews, from anywhere really in 2019-2020. Quinn McKay, welcome to the All Night Long Wrestling Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. We really appreciate your time. You have been uh, unbelievably busy, I would say, in recent weeks, months, and I would say the last two years. You are all over the place, social media, you're in the ring, you're on commentary. What's the last six months been like for you? Oh, man, it's been super busy. I come from, like, a really small town in Missouri where... Like, not a lot was happening in my life, and I was kind of at, like, this standstill on what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go with my career. And then all of a sudden, yeah, it really was in the last, like, six to nine months. Like, I'm traveling all over the country, all over the world, and um, it's been it's been busy, it's been hectic, but I've gotten to see a lot of, a lot of the country, and I've really enjoyed that, so... How now? Five feet of concrete, by the way, is like the best yeah. nickname I have ever heard. Um, that's really to the point. How did you come across that name, and how did you get started in professional wrestling? I heard growing up you weren't necessarily a huge professional wrestling fan until a little bit later on. Yeah, actually, well, I I was a fan when I was a kid because I would watch it with my brother, um, but he's quite a few years older than me, so he left for the navy when I was still. Oh, God, hang on. He's 15 years older than me. So I was still like a kid and he was like not around very often. But I remember watching it with him. And then I got back into it when I was in high school because my best friend, um, Mia, she and her brother were like diehard WWE fans. And so we would watch uh, Monday Night Raw every Monday night. Like we would get home from whatever like rehearsal we had that night or band practice or something. And we would go and we'd watch Monday Night Raw. Um, and we would like veg out and make a bunch of like snacks and stuff. And it was this really cool tradition that we had. Yeah. Like <laughs> we'd make brownies and we'd have cookies and just eat all the kind of things that we weren't supposed to eat. 
And I got into professional wrestling. I actually, um, and I know I've said this in interviews a lot, it always comes up, but I played roller derby for about eight seasons for Springfield Roller Derby in Springfield, Missouri. And I started that uh, when I was in college and I had like a soft retirement in 2017. And I was like, okay, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do what I've always thought that I could do. And I'm going to try professional wrestling out. But it was really hard to find a school because being in, in the Midwest, like it's not like being on the East coast where everything's within like 45 minutes of each other. Everything's like it, everywhere you turn around out here, there's like a wrestling school and there's so yeah. many great places to train in the Midwest. You have like your amateur wrestling. That is huge. That is what, you know, that that's what the Midwest is built on, you know, the, the farm boy strength and stuff like that. So that I'm sure that's easy to find, but a professional wrestling school, not so easy to come by. No, not at all. Everything's like four hours away from each other. There was of course, Harley races school. Um, up in Troy, Missouri. Now, the funny story about that that I don't think I've told, Harley Race's school was originally in Eldon, Missouri, which is where I went to high school. And I tried to convince my mom to let me enroll there before I had even graduated. But Harley was like, he didn't really like it whenever people under 18 would try to train, which I'm a big proponent for. Honestly, it's rough on your body. Um, sure. But my mom told me that if I wanted to go to wrestling school, I would have to graduate college first and put myself through it. And I did. So what up, mom? <laughs> She's very proud that's, of me now. That's awesome. And uh, actually, we had Beer City Bruiser on not too long ago who regaled us with stories of Harley Race and what it was like to train over there. So, But, I mean, yeah. you – Quinn McKay, the wrestler, I mean, 2000, uh, was 2018 you won the ECWA uh, tournament? That was last year. That actually that came, was like 20, it came up in my calendar that I was there last this month. Last year, I won. That is, I mean, Karen Q, Tessa Blanchard. Those are just some of the names of women that have won that tournament. So for you to, I mean, so early in your career yeah. to win that tournament, that's that's definitely a vote of confidence, I would think. Yeah, that was that was really stressful because that was my seventh, eighth, no, yeah, my seventh, eighth, and ninth match. All in, in one night. What? Yeah. Wow. And Scarlett Bordeaux was in that tournament as well? Yeah. God, I love Scarlett. She's the best. Um, yeah, Scarlett was in that tournament. Uh, Gabby was in that tournament. There, uh, it, was, it was pretty stacked. It was a lot of fun. But I was also very green, and I wasn't very very confident in, in my ability. I didn't really know what I was doing yet. And when I was booked, I didn't know that I was going to win. I didn't know that I was going to win until I was there. <laughs> Which might be better. That way you don't have the pressure, right? Like, it's, you find out when you get there and you're like, okay, I got this. Yeah, I guess so. But I wish I would have. I don't know. I don't know. I like the way that it happened. Unfortunately, I got signed to ROH exclusively right after I won. Well, and they also went defunct. ECWA went out of business entirely for right. a few months before they came back. And then by the time that they came back, I couldn't defend the belt. So I had to vacate that title, unfortunately, because of my responsibilities with ROH. But... It was a um, pretty wild time. Well, in my entire career's kind of been like that. I had had maybe one match in Iowa. 3XW is in Des Moines is where I had my first match ever. And I think it was maybe a couple of weeks after that that AAW hit me up and wanted me to start doing something with Kurt Stallion and Jake something. And so my fourth match and... This match, I believe, we're both at AAW. So it's just been this very intense upward trajectory from the very beginning. Yeah, it wasn't like you kind of have those first, I don't know, 100 or so matches to get your feet wet. It's like, oh, P.S., you're in this tournament with Scarlet and you're working with Kurt Stallion, who's like one of the, the king of the indies right now. So it's like, but I mean, that's, 
like I said, a positive and a negative because that means there's a b- big confidence behind you, right? For these promoters to, to bring you in and be like, oh, you can handle this. It's like, are you are you sure? You know, it's kind of like. Yeah, that's a lot <laughs> what it's like. Well, and I have very, I am, I'm such like an anxious person by nature and such a neurotic person by nature that I, I want to live up to everybody's expectations, but because everybody's expectations of me are so high, mine are so much higher. And it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so hard to live up to. And I feel like, guys, calm the fuck down. <laughs> I'm good. I'm going to feel better when my dogs start barking. It's going to be <laughs> good. I'm going to feel so much better. I feel them. you could see them like running across the couch behind me, but they're, they're having a time about something. I just um, saw a flash over your left yeah. shoulder. So yeah, they're, they're good to go. It's party time. That, that was Waffles. She's, um, she's like nine months old and she's, a terror she's a demon but i love her i love her she's a kitten i mean kittens are playful they don't have rules yet yeah trying to enforce rules she's kind of a nightmare uh anyway um so there are these like expectations that i feel like i have to keep meeting and i get really frustrated sometimes because i think like the hardest expectations to meet are the ones that you set for yourself and mine are always so astronomically high i don't know i don't know it's a it's a weird time for sure but i love it i love it how did Ring of Honor contact you then? How did you get in contact with Ring of Honor right from, and you said you had signed to Ring of Honor right before, I guess, or right after the ECWA tournament? Yeah, right after the ECWA tournament. Um, so I had debuted in Des Moines, I think. So I had like one match. Maybe I hadn't even, yeah, I had one match. And I went to a Jonathan Gresham seminar at St. Louis Anarchy because I spent a lot of time there as a manager with uh, Christian Rose and Thomas Shire, um, and that was that was a really good time. I love St. Louis Anarchy. If you're not super familiar with it, um, I think you can check them out on like independent wrestling TV or something like that. They're on Power but, Slam too, I think. Power Slam. Yeah. TV. Yep. Yeah, but they they always have an excellent show. That's always really fun. Um, and uh, he was wrestling Jeremy Wyatt that night. I think a really excellent Midwest technical wrestler. And he'd had a seminar beforehand and there was one slot open. And I remember that I had messaged Matt Jackson. And I was like, Hey, I know that I'm super late, but if I could take this slot, it'd be excellent. And I went and at the end of it, he asked me to send over some headshots and a bio and like whatever small resume I had at the time, which was nothing uh, so that he could send it to the ROH coaches, which at the time were Joey Mercury and Will Ferrara and uh, Hunter Johnson, obviously. And it was just kind of, I think that was in September or October. And then I moved out to Baltimore for the dojo in January. Wow. And then, I mean, and as far as, I know you and I had spoke off air. You said you're training with three nights a week, four nights a week at the ROH dojo? Yeah, yeah. And that's run by Jonathan Gresham now, right? Uh, Gresham and Will Ferrara, yeah. There is no better professional wrestler on the planet, I think, to learn from than John Gresham. The um, stuff he's able to do in the ring is amazing. What is it like learning under him? Um, it's absolutely incredible. He he has this way of like finding out what you're what you're weakest at and and pushing your buttons to make you better at it. Like he wants everybody at the dojo to be as well rounded as possible, so that even if something goes wrong in a match, like you know how to cover for it and fix it no matter what. He does things like make you run drills uh, the opposite way so that in case somebody puts anything on you incorrectly, you know how to maneuver uh, maneuver around it and work around it. So it's it's very much, um, he's a very like cerebral coach, I guess. Like he expects the physical, physical aspect of it 
and he's an excellent mind to pick about what he would do in a certain situation or how to put a match together and, and about psychology and of course, scientific wrestling. There's, there's no one in the world, like he's incomparable. Um, but he's so challenging as well. And I think that that's, unless you work under him a lot, probably not something that you'll, you'll pick up. He's so good at just finding out what makes you tick and then pushing those buttons to make sure you're outside of your comfort zone. Like for example, there's nothing in the world that frustrates me as much as Lucha frustrates me. Like I'm not super good at it. Okay. And he just, he will make me run Lucha spots until I can't move until he knows I can't mess it up. That's, I mean, that's, he kind of sounds like he coaches the same way he wrestles. It's methodical. There's a reason for everything that you guys are doing the same way when you see him in the ring, there's a reason there's something laid out. There's a plan for ABCDE and it's kind of step-by-step paint by numbers. Everything is for a reason, nothing just to, just to do it, right? Just go out there and tell the story and make it believable. And that's, that's what a great coach does. So I'm sure how many people are in the class at the dojo? I think that at the core of it, there's probably, I don't know, because the the dojo has kind of an interesting setup. There are people that are kind of in and out of the door occasionally, but there's a core of probably, I'd say like 10 to 12 of us that are like OG dojo students that are there all the time, learning all the time, working with the company. Um, And then there are people that drop in that like just train occasionally. But we, we have a lot of exciting things in the works. Yeah, Ring of Honor is kind of in a state, um, you know, we've been fans of Ring of Honor for so long. It, they're kind of in a state of influx right now where there's a lot of changing. There was a lot of, you know, talent that was quote-unquote lost. But if you look at the history of Ring of Honor, it's nothing they haven't experienced before. You know, yeah. they've lost huge name talent. And then guess what? They have talent that's ready to take that next step. I mean, when Cesaro and Kevin Steen and El Generico were signed, bam, all of a sudden you have uh, the Briscoe brothers, you have the Red Dragons, you have the Adam Cole. So I feel like Ring of Honor is very well equipped to do that. And everybody kind of sounding the alarm. It's like, well, don't, don't worry. Just watch and see what they're doing. And if you watch the Ring of Honor shows that they've had recently, the talent has been, and the quality of the matches has been just amazing. The talent that is being brought into Ring of Honor. Um, I know Session Morth Martina just came in. Uh, uh, Slex. uh you know, there's a lot of really, and the core guys are like the hot sauce, Tracy Williams, the Mark Haskins, just fantastic wrestlers. So what, what's the kind of the vibe like at ring of honor right now? They're doing a lot of different things like the past versus the present. They did the free enterprise, which is the free show. What, you know, and Joe Coffa had gave that um, kind of state of the union address at free enterprise. What's the vibe like in the company? Everyone's really excited. And, and I think that whenever you ask members of locker rooms, they, they will kind of like give that, that answer generically but we did we 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 got a lot of negativity last year and we came in just like ready to like own 2020 and like really make it a a ring of like ring of honors year like it's a rebuilding year for sure but we've like you said like we've always gone through that we've always had some of the top indie talents in the world and then they they move on to bigger and better things like and nobody's going to fault anybody for taking that paycheck trust me like this is a business that's what you're supposed to do but we've always been that stepping stone. We've always launched people's careers and been like really just, yeah, like a launching pad for some of the most spectacular performers and wrestlers in the entire world. And I have uh, the utmost faith in this in this company, in Ring of Honor, to do it again, because this is our cycle, right? Like the reason that we continue to have great talent like that is because we know how to look for them. 
And, you know, like we build our own stars from the inside. So like we know how to cultivate that. We know how to turn you into great performers. We know how to get the best stories out of you. And when it comes to just actual like technical ability, there's no no company in the world that rivals it. There's just really not like just match after match, just banger after banger. And it was really hard going through last year, especially someone being not just new to Ring of Honor, but to the wrestling industry in general, because my career just started in 2018. It was really hard to watch something that I loved so much be under such a microscope for something that wasn't our fault. Like, we can't help that, like, talent leaves and then does something else. Like, we're all proud of everybody that's done that. Like, please, more wrestling for everybody, more jobs for everyone. That's excellent. So I'm excited now that, like, we've taken some really bold moves and it's been it's been paying off. Yeah, and like you said, under a microscope. I mean, let's be honest, like, Twitter sucks, right? And people on Twitter suck and people yeah. – all right. 98.75% of people on social media suck and they're, you know, they can never be happy with anything and they have to, you know, just beat everything down. You, if you like Ring of Honor, you can't like WWE and just all that shit. And, you know, there's so much negativity, but, you know, like you said, 2018 and 2019 were a little bit rough, but now the, the quality of wrestling. And when you hear like people, Guess what? If Ring of Honor was really this quote-unquote sinking ship, Marty Skrull wouldn't be resigning. Bandito, Flamita, like all these top-tier slacks wouldn't be coming over. You know, like people need to realize like all this top talent wouldn't be coming in. So what's being said by the uh, the wrestlers and the performers, it's not just, you know, you're not going to be like, oh, yeah, everything's great. And then, you know, not and resign if you think it's going to go down the tubes, you know. So there's such a positive atmosphere. And I love the partnership with the NWA. I think it's the greatest thing in the world. Nick Aldis, he was just on a show a couple weeks ago. He was saying, you know, it's funny. Nick Aldis was on our show right before they announced Marty Skrull resigned. And he was saying how cool it would be if he could work with Marty. And then two weeks later, you see the business they're doing. So it seems like Ring of Honor is open to try new things. And like you said, for everybody in the business to succeed. And I think that's, you know, it's a different approach. Not a lot of companies are willing to work with other companies. But you see Ring of Honor talent in other places. It's going to enhance whatever show they're on, you know. And then when that talent comes over, when Nick Aldis comes over, guess what? That enhances the Ring of Honor show, too. So the decision to do that, do you think as a company that was a difficult decision to be like, all right, listen, we have to change some things. We're going to try this. And But was everybody seems like pretty much was on board for it. Yeah, I think that, and I, and I can't speak for management, but sure. I know that as far as talent goes, everybody gets really excited whenever we can work with New Japan and we can work with the NWA because that's more opportunity for everybody. Like when it, Because Ring of Honor has a fairly slim roster. Everybody gets a lot of airtime. We make sure that everybody's getting matches in and they're getting the opportunity to tell their, tell their stories. But as far as rosters like the WWE, like we can't even compare. We have a, a minute roster by comparison. So it's so much fun and so much easier as far as storylines go to be able to pull people from New Japan and to be able to pull people from CMLL and be able to pull people from NWA and mix all these stories together that you otherwise wouldn't be able to see. Like, it keeps everything from getting stale, and you're seeing so many different wrestling styles. Like, even if you don't care about storylines, even if that's not your bag as far as wrestling goes, and you're just a fan of, like, in-ring performance, there are so many styles that can be meshed that otherwise would never cross paths. And I know that the locker room loves that. 
Yeah, and that's why I think the Ring of Honor shows are so fresh because it's not like you have eight matches that are the exact same. You have your lucha matches, you have your technical matches, you have you know the Briscoe brothers killing people in the best way. You know, it's it's really I think a good time to be a fan of wrestling. Clearly, but definitely a Ring of Honor. Um, and when you were contacting the Ring of Honor, so now let's get into what you know what aren't you know what you are aren't doing really in Ring of Honor. You're doing a little bit of everything. What do you think's been the most challenging part so far? Was it the commentary? Was it the backstage stuff? What do you think was the biggest um, challenge for you? Um, I get told all the time that I was not expected to be as good at what I do as I am. So that's, that's awesome. always really nice. Yeah, yeah that's but... like the best compliment. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Nobody's actually ever told me that, so that's cool. Good for you. <laughs> I have a very, um, well, I have a communications degree. So talking in front of people, talking at people, helping people tell stories has never been anything that's difficult for me. So the backstage correspondent role is pretty easy. I did, there was a, a Future of Honor show, which is our developmental brand, that Will Ferrara threw me in on play-by-play for. And I have zero experience in commentary at this point. Um, I have no pressure, no pressure. You're not. Yeah. And I was like, I'm just going to do color commentary the whole night. It's going to be absolutely fine. No play by play. I wasn't the worst at it, but I would say that it's for sure. Not my calling. Uh, if I work at it, maybe though, I don't know. Beth Phoenix is kind of my hero. So I'd like to just follow directly in her footsteps as much as I can. Um, so I don't know, maybe I'll get better at commentary in the future. I think that the hardest thing is, God, maybe the schedule. So being, okay. Yeah, being on camera is fine. Um, talking with everybody is fine. Hosting shows is fine. No, that actually is hard. Standing next to Ian Riccoboni and trying to pretend that I know what I'm talking about whenever he's just like rattling off information and dates and names, that's the hardest thing. Ian Riccoboni is a oh, Wikipedia of wrestling, but of also like mid 80s unknown r&b and rap because if you know the songs and you listen to like what he drops in the middle of matches i'm like I can't, like it flew over so many people's heads but caprice always calls him on it and i think it's they make a, a really good team oh, but man. ian riccoboni you know they, and again you know with the the change in ring of honor he just took over as a head commentator last year it was kevin kelly and steve carino and you know ian riccoboni was there and then caprice is there and now it's like a well-oiled machine so I think that's, you know, it's such a credit to the company. Now, you've interviewed, I mean, everybody who's everybody backstage. Um, rumor has it the Allure were not your favorite to talk to. No, the Allure never. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Allure, are they anybody's favorite to talk to? Nope, nope, not I, at all. There's just something about being uh, belittled that I find uninteresting and uninspiring to work around. Who is the easiest person to talk to on camera? The easiest? I think that the easiest person to talk to on camera is Shane Taylor. Because he has an impeccable promo. He's such a passionate speaker. He knows exactly what he's saying at all times. He knows exactly the story he's trying to tell. And I kind of just have to be like, okay, do your thing. And he can do it. I would say that the person that it's just like the easiest to work with in general is probably Dalton. Tom Castle, for sure. Oh, yeah, he's a guy that can talk, and you might not know what he's saying like a lot of the time, but damn it, it sounds good, and, you're, and you want to you want to watch his match. That's all that matters. That's the best part, is that the more absurd and 
ridiculous it is, like, the more I'm like, yes, yes, I'm here for this. <laughs> I'm so into that. He's like a well-spoken ultimate warrior. That's the best way I could describe <laughs> Dalton Castle. Like a very flamboyant, well-spoken yeah. ultimate warrior. We had uh, um, a really good chemistry and a really good rapport from the beginning. And I think one of the reasons that the interviews caught up, or me as a backstage correspondent caught on the way that it did, definitely had a lot to do with um, Dalton respecting what I do. So, and uh, that's yeah. all. And when everybody works as a team, I think that's great. Now, you have a shirt out, I think yeah. is the coolest thing. The, where did the bow tie come from? We got, what's the story of the bow tie? Because it's, it's perfect. Um, so, <laughs> there was a lot that went into making Quinn the way that she is, I guess, and the way that she looks and the way that she acts. Because obviously, like, a part of her is me. I myself am, am very bookish. And um, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't necessarily say nerdy because I feel like that's such an overused, like, cliche way to describe somebody. But I wanted her to be, like, very bookish and very approachable. Um, And originally, I think the pitch was that I was supposed to be, like, kind of homely. Like, that was the word used. And I was like, guys, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Like a Lois Lane kind of deal almost? Yeah, kind of like a, well, no, they wanted me to be more like, um, gosh. Oh, um, Ali Sheedy like, in Breakfast Club? More, I think, um, God, there was somebody that they, I, so what I was picturing was a very, like, Jessica Day from New, New, New Girl. Like, wears, like, the glasses and she's got, like, the quirky hair. And, and I was thinking more Manic Pixie Dream Girl and they were thinking more, like, frazzled journalist slash like maybe miss frizzle i don't know there was some trial and error that went into the costume designing and the bow tie was just they were like we want your hair to look this way we need you to be covered from like your neck down to your toes because people shouldn't see like how fit you are because they're not going to believe that you're a backstage correspondent and i was like okay well what can i do that at least shows like some sort of personality and and the bow ties was that i'm a really big doctor who fan um so i definitely took from that and then i get the mean gene comparisons all the time which obviously i love i think that um if there's anybody that i have like uh a style like a dialogue style like it's it's definitely mean gene yeah there's nobody better in that role to be compared to i think you know and it's funny if people know you from a wrestler and they see you at ring of honor they're not going to believe it's the same person so, and so it sounds like, I didn't know this before you said that, but it sounds like that's by design almost, right? Where they don't want to show that, I mean, if they follow you on Instagram or social media, they could tell you're in the gym 11 and a half hours a day, but on the <laughs> ring on the show, it's like, oh, okay. You know, she, like you said, she looks like a reporter and things like that. So how did, is that tough to kind of navigate, uh, literally like the yin and the yang, like the two different worlds? I'm sure you're somewhere in between. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely somewhere in between. I think I'm probably, I'm a lot more outspoken and probably a little more brash than Quinn is. Um, But it's not hard to be mousy or be meek. Like I said, like, I'm a very anxious person. So it's so easy to just wear that anxiety like a costume. And that's, I think that that's probably what what helps me the most with that. um, Because she is just this, like, very... Um, like anxious, nervous, frenetic energy. And I find that really fun to play into and having conversations with people. But as far as like, I don't know, drawing the line, that was a really big struggle for me whenever I first started. I remember I had like my first, my interviews had gone out 
up for the first time and people had responded really well to me. And Bully Ray came up to me and he was like, the only person that can mess this up for you is you. And I have never forgotten that. Like that was the most, I mean, resourceful piece of information and advice that I think that I've been, I've been given because it's true. Like, and so I walked this fine line, especially on social media between like, well, I'm, I'm a very snarky and not mean spirited person, but like I will stand up for myself. I'll stand up for what I believe in. had some controversial tweets. Um, but I also don't want to shatter the illusion completely, you know, because it's not necessarily an illusion. It's just a different. Right. And I think that's the the thing in 2020 with the uh, social media so much you want to let people into your personal life but you don't want to completely you know it's like in 1991 the undertaker wasn't going to tweet out something right and completely like ruin his character so it's it's well it's different it's a different time but i think you know speaking for myself somebody watches ring of honor um and watching you do what you do you do it with confidence and there's never a question of like oh is she playing a part or something like that it's like no this is who it is and that's why the interviews and all of the segments come off so well so i think it's a credit to you and your ability to kind of change from being that professional wrestler to you know this correspondent now are you going to be back in the ring soon or are we going to see that can we say that where do we stand on you getting back in the ring i don't think that we can officially say anything about it Yes. Forget I asked. We'll delete it. No problem. Uh, well, you have a, uh, and you know, you touched upon it earlier with the roller derby and we kind of glossed over it. That is some of the most brutal, hardest hitting stuff like ever. If you've ever been to roller derby or there was actually many, many years ago, right before ECW, there was a, I think what the show was called roller jam and it was a lead into ECW on TNN. And like they were, that was the kind of crowd, right? You watch roller derby and then you watch professional wrestling. And that, how did you get into roller derby? And is that tougher on you than wrestling is? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In roller derby, because I was a, I was a jammer and I oh. just like a quick explanation of roller derby for people that don't know what it is. Um, there's a jammer who scores the points and then there are four blockers for each team on the track. Um, one jammer for each team, you score a point for every opposing blocker you pass. So they go out of their way to make sure that you can't get around them because then you steal their point basically. A defender. Uh, yeah. And, and I was a jammer, which, um, means that I was the target that everybody wanted to hit. And I was actually pretty good at roller derby. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really love the game. I miss the game a lot. But yeah, it's definitely way harder on your body because people are actively trying to hurt you. And in professional wrestling, as you know, that's not necessarily the case. Right. Uh, and you're you're landing on wood and you're landing on, you know, not it's it's a brutal sport. If you're you know, if you get a chance, go check out like your local roller derby. A bunch of friends of mine were in it growing up and I went there and I watched it one time and I was like, holy shit. I was like, yeah, oh, is this waffles? Yeah, this is waffles. Oh, welcome. Oh, my God. That is was that blue claws? Yeah, she has um soft paws on. They're like little gel overlays for their claws so that she stops, you know, trying to tear apart my curtains and my couch and stuff like that. So yeah, she has little blue paws right now. She's very cute. Um, That's awesome. Anyway, <laughs> leave. Um, but I got into roller derby much in the same way that I got into professional wrestling. My brother was really into roller derby and I went to college at Missouri State University, Go Bears, in Springfield, Missouri, and he was a non-skating official, so he did, like, timekeeping, and he watched penalties um, and stuff, like, like he caught penalties for people, and he did all of those side jobs, because there's got to be, 
I think you have to have like 20 non-skating officials to make one roller derby team game oh. happen. It's a lot. It's a lot. And these people don't get paid. They sacrifice so much of their own time. A lot of the time it's a bunch of fresh meat skaters who don't want to do that. So <laughs> thanks to non-skating officials, if there's any roller derby uh, people out there at all, I guess. But he got me into it. And then Whip It came out while I was a senior in high school. So that just kind of like furthered me being like, yeah, my brother thinks it's really cool. I think my brother's really cool. So I'm going to go do this. And then Whip It came out and I was like, hell yeah, Ellen Page. That's all. I forgot about that. That was right around that time. Well, that's that's such a cool story. I mean, roller derby, professional wrestling, powerlifting. uh, It seems like there's nothing you can't do. We are uh, huge fans of yours. Nothing but continued success to you. And where can everybody get the new Quinn McKay shirt? Oh, at the ROH Pro Shop. ROH Pro Shop, Bring of Honor website. Go on there. I think there's a discount. I just got something in email this morning, maybe free shipping. Go out there, check it out. And to follow up with you on social media, where can we find you? So you can find me at Real Quinn McKay on Instagram and then at Quinn McKay on Twitter. At Real Quinn McKay on Instagram and Quinn McKay on Twitter. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Stop by our show. Your very busy schedule and nothing but continued success. And we can't wait to see what Ring of Honor has for us in 2020. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a blast. Cool. Take care. Thank you.